lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So thanks for being with us today. Today we've got a really interesting show, and it's around a subject matter that sometimes has some darkness, but we've got Dr. Jennifer Dragonette. She's the executive director with Newport Healthcare, and she's here to brighten the subject up and to give us some information that can really help us. Dr. Dragonette's spearheaded the establishment of Newport Academy's Northern California program, where she continues to serve as executive director. Her experience in the field includes clinical and leadership roles for Kaiser Permanente Santa Rosa's Chemical Dependency Services and for Petaluma Health Center, where she was the director of behavioral health. Dr. Greganet has also developed a curriculum for a program to support parents and children in the aftermath of the Petaluma wildfires in 2017. She holds a doctorate in clinical psychology and served as federal investigator for the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission before transitioning in the treatment field. And today we're here to talk about, you know, we, we hear about suicide. We hear about Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. So we're here to have some good, enlightening conversation around that. Dr. Dragonette, thank you for being with me today. My pleasure, Lee. I'm so honored to be here. Well, it's it's interesting. I guess you've worked in this around this field for many years. And yes. recently, what prompted you to spearhead the establishment of the Newport Academy? Well, Newport Academy has has been around for uh, since about 2012, and um, and it was uh, doing great work in Southern California and in Connecticut. I'm located in Northern California, and so they brought me in about five and a half years ago to open up the Northern California region. And so at that time, uh, we were really focusing on adolescents. We then opened up to expand to young adults as well. And so uh, Newport Academy became Newport Healthcare with a young adult wing as well. And so we offer uh, residential and outpatient treatments for adolescents and young adults throughout the country. And for me, that just feels like the right approach for some of the really acute things that we see with our younger clients. Um, We have a very family-based approach. And I know we'll, we'll talk more about um, suicide prevention specifically, but I think that that's a good place to start because one of the things that I'm the most proud of with Newport Healthcare is the way that we really focus on the family, even if it is just one member of the family who's feeling depressed or anxious or suicidal. Um, we really believe that it's a systems approach that, that gets us into trouble and it's a system that can bring us out of trouble and into the light. Um, so that's one of the things that I'm really proud of with Newport. And uh, and then one of the other pieces that I, that I really appreciate is just the depth of clinical training. Um, I'm heavily involved now in training the clinicians for Newport Healthcare throughout the country in trauma-informed care and certain types of therapy that can really help when you have a young person who feels like their life isn't worth living or feels like there's no hope. Well, and, and I'm just amazed every time I see statistics and numbers, the numbers keep going up, the ages keep going down. It's mm-hmm. certainly reached a, a state of high alarm for all of us. So mm-hmm. what are the signs and the symptoms of depression and suicide in teens and young adults? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. And I think it's 
particularly tricky with young adults and teens because some of the signs and symptoms of depression are, quite frankly, some of the signs and symptoms of being a teenager, you know, what mood shifts and changes in behavior. Um, so it's really hard for parents and, and loved ones to always know exactly what's going on. But I think that it's important to, to be on alert if you're seeing real shifts with a teen or with a young adult. Really trust your gut and, and reach out for help. So specific things that I always look for and, and I recommend that, that family members look for is um, certainly talking about suicide or wanting to die. Um, most teens and young adults don't talk about that unless it's really something that they're thinking about. Um, feeling hopeless or if you see you know, a rapid increase of drugs or alcohol use. And again, you know, some experimentation with drugs and alcohol is normal in adolescence. And when we have a, a collection of a lot of these symptoms, we, we can start to get worried. Um, you know, maybe changes in weight or starting to keep a collection of things that could be used to harm oneself. Um, and access to self-harm um, options is, is something that families really would, um, would do well to be aware of. Um, it's much less likely that someone's going to harm themselves if they don't have easy access to a firearm or to weapons or to drugs that they could take. Um, so that's something to be aware of. Um, and then also just looking at the, the entirety of one's life. So how are they doing with friends, with school? Are we seeing a lot of shifts in behavior? Well, I think you make such good points because it's as simple as a shift in their diet, a shift mm-hmm. in their sleep. You know, they used to enjoy walking the dog every day, and now they don't want to have anything to do with the dog. Mm-hmm. It's those behavioral shifts that that at the Brain Performance Center that we hear about, and we always advise parents to be on the lookout for if there's a difference in the way that they interact with their siblings. Because teenagers, you're right. You mentioned in the beginning, teenagers don't want to talk about it for starters. Mm-hmm. And that's, an, I can remember, barely, but I can remember <laughs> those days. And mm-hmm. it is a normal thing. So how how do you be respectful of that line, but be brave enough to walk over it when you need to? Mm-hmm. I really love your terminology there, you know, respectful and brave. I, th- I think that that's really the key, trying to hold both of those. Um, clear is kind, and, and that's a Brene Brown quote that I love and I say almost every day. I think being really clear, you know, and maybe I'm speaking mostly to parents here, if you're worried about your teen and you think that they may be at risk for suicide, I would clearly ask them um, and be clear with them about how you feel. I love you so much. I would never want anything to happen to you. That actually matters a lot. And we're never going to put the idea in someone's head. You know, I say this a lot to the the therapists who I do trainings for and supervision. It's always okay. And I really recommend asking straight out, are you having thoughts of not wanting to be alive or hurting yourself? Um, We're not going to give them that idea. But if we ask and we make it clear that it's okay for them to say yes, if that's the case, then we've shown that we're someone who can handle this conversation. We can be supportive, um, that we're not going to, you know, freak out or, or start to go into crisis ourselves. And I know that that's a big ask for parents because that's, I'm, I'm a parent too. It's the scariest thing we can imagine to have our child in distress like that. And so it's also important that parents and family members get the kind of support that they need so that we can model healthy behaviors and communication and, um, you know, show that it's okay to have hard feelings, that we can make it through our own mental health challenges, and that we can be there to support our loved ones. 
Well, and I've, I've been touched by suicide both personally and professionally, and I honestly believe that that suicide decision is a 10-minute decision made in the brain, that mm-hmm. at that point in time, there is nothing but hopelessness, helplessness, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard, well, Lee, it would just be easier for everybody if I wasn't here. And my response to that is, that's the way you feel. But stop and think about that. And when you, you know, but it's hard to have conversation. I can't imagine. I have two, I have kids. And it's certainly a lot easier for me to have a conversation with you than it mm-hmm. would be with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's very true. And it is so impulsive, as you say. You know, it really can be. Um, which is why I so strongly recommend not making it easy for that impulsivity to take over. Um, you know, if there's a family member at risk, it, it really does serve us well to make it super safe around them. Um, I'm I'm a fan of healthy distraction. If we need to, you know, get out of the house, get moving, you know, do something else to, to change our mindset. Um, because like you, I've, I've seen a lot of this and more often than not, when someone can get through that initial crisis period, whether that's through crisis stabilization or even hospitalization or you know, leaning on support from family members or therapists, when they can get on the other side of that, by, by far in a way, they're um, grateful to be on the other side of that and, you know, really feeling so fortunate to still be alive. And so sometimes it's about just helping people see that this is a feeling, you know, feeling is final, that we will be able to move through this. Let's do something over the next couple hours to get you through this period of time. Um, And then we can talk more about coping skills and strategies moving forward. Um, But really just to have to to keep that long-term lens on that we just need to get through this crisis period and then we can get more support so that your life feels more worth living so that it doesn't feel like you have to impulsively try to get out of this pain. Well, and I think that, you know, when we focus on things that are out of our control, that's when we feel overwhelmed. That's when we feel like we don't have a voice. We're not being heard. And my biggest piece of advice on a daily basis is focus on what you can control. Because when I've had young adults say, you know, when I just keep my focus on what I can control, I'm more aware of my goals. I'm, you know, I'm thinking more more productively. And do you think that that's capable? I'm not as, I've certainly had a lot of success with young adults some success with teenagers, but the teenage population I've worked with is smaller. Do you think that there's that same level of success to be had with the teenagers? Mm-hmm. I really do. I really do. And we have a we have a beautiful entree into the world of teens through their families. And and I know that that teens will say up and down that you know they don't care about their families or they don't care about their parents, but it's just not true. We we just see over and over in research and anecdotally and in family therapy that one of the most protective factors for our teens is their relationships with their family. Um, and even in the statistics, we see you know for example, teens who are LGBTQ are much higher risk for suicide and twice as high rates of suicide but eight times higher when their families are not supportive. And and so that tells us 
so much, right, that, that when we have the support of parents, you know, we can get in as a treatment provider and partner with families to help provide that hope or that monitoring or, um, you know, checking in on the symptoms that you and I were talking about earlier. So we don't have to do this alone, you know, as a treatment provider working with an adult. Um, it, it might just be us and our clients. But with teens, we have we have support from the family. And so I really like, again, to use that systems approach um, to to make it clear to this team that they are loved and they're supported and that there will be people on their side to help them get through this crisis. And and by the way, you're not alone, right? Many of us have been there too. There may be peers around who can talk to you about their experience. Um, sometimes that matters a lot as well to get some peer support and, you know, some group support around um, coping skills and distress tolerance. Well, and I think the point you make on peer support, because I've I've had several circumstances where someone had seen that suicidal behavior modeled, and mm-hmm. and that's a that's a awful hard visual and an awful hard image to get out of your brain. So, how do you help those? that have been personally touched to the point where they're beginning to think maybe it was, you know, maybe it was the best thing for them. Mm-hmm. You bring up a good point. You know, it is absolutely a risk factor for teens if they are exposed to suicide. And we see that, you know, unfortunately, this we're kind of in the time of year that, that tends to be more prevalent. Um, beginning of school year tends to come with a lot of stress. And we do know that if a community is touched by a, an adolescent suicide, that in the immediate short term, the rates of suicide or suicidal ideation will go up in that community. And it's for all the reasons that you mentioned. It feels like maybe that's a relief. Maybe they figured it out. Maybe they're not suffering anymore. Um, so I think that it, it really would benefit all of the adults and treatment providers and family members to be on high alert if that's happening. You know, if there is a teen in in the peer group who is feeling suicidal or, you know, even worse, has attempted or completed a suicide, um, that we need to be right there, you know, asking, how are you doing? What support do you need? I would not hesitate to get a teen into treatment, even if it's simply meeting with a therapist once a week or, you know, once every couple weeks just to have access to additional support because sometimes it just feels like there is no hope and unfortunately the way that brain development happens we get we get all of our emotions we get all of our impulsivity before we fully have access to all of the emotion regulation and the impulse control and so we really need to support and kind of scaffold our teens to help them see what is exciting about their life, what makes their life worth living. And if they don't feel like it is, to help them take steps to build that and increase their own feeling of directionality toward their value system. Um, so I, I do think it's worth really coming in close, keeping our teens close, getting them into treatment of some sort if we're at all concerned. It's just not going to it's not going to harm and it could possibly be exceptionally helpful. Well, and I think that for teens, I, I deal with a lot. You brought up the brain, and the brain's not fully developed until the mid to late 20s. And that emotional expression can be very, very difficult. They, they may be able to think it, but there's a big, there's a whole big different 
job between thinking it and being able to articulate it clearly. So for parents that notice that their teens do have problems with emotional expression, what recommendations do you have for them? Mm-hmm. Well, I think for parents, if we're noticing that, then, you know, and I'm, I'm repeating myself a bit, but feeling very, very free to talk about it, you know, really being able to communicate as early as possible before problems arise. And maybe even along the lines of the conversation you and I are having of, you know, hey, sometimes teens have these kinds of thoughts. And if you do, it's, it's normal, right? Suicidal thoughts are not a sign of, you know, a disaster or crisis. We all have thoughts like that, right? It's just a thought. But if it gets to be anything more than a thought, I want you to know that I'm here for you. And, and I want you to feel open and honest with me so that we don't ever have to be in crisis mode. So I think the earlier we can start that conversation, the better. And really modeling healthy behaviors. You know, our teens are watching us, even if it doesn't feel like they are, or even if they would say they don't care what we do, they're watching us to see how do we experience negative emotions? How do we deal with setbacks or grief or trauma, right? Because, you know, even the adults in our teens' lives, we may be dealing with our own stuff. And if we can show how we deal with a really bad day, that in and of itself is so much more valuable than saying, you know, what you should do is, you know, journal or exercise. When we actually do that, then we get to show, hey, this this is what works for me, right? Come with me. Let's go for, let's go for a jog together or, you know, let's check out this new trivia night or whatever it is, right? Let's, let's try something just to change our emotions in this given moment and to be together um, so that it just doesn't feel so stigmatized. Um, One of the things that I've been so pleased about over the past few years is I do see, and I think maybe this was a side benefit of, of the COVID pandemic, I see a little bit of reduction in the mental health stigma around getting treatment. And I am so thrilled um, because I think mental health problems are universal and, and we have them because we're humans trying to do our best. And so really just encouraging getting into some sort of a treatment, not as a last ditch, you know, oh no, everything is terrible, but hey, you know what, you might benefit from a little bit of extra support and I have too in the past or I am right now. Let me tell you about how that supported me. Well, and what I have found an effective way to approach it is mental health is brain health. And the brain is an organ just like the heart. And if we think there's something wrong with our heart, what is the first thing that we do and how quickly do we do it? We go see a doctor immediately. We do. But if we Mm -hmm. wake up and we're thinking, I'm so overwhelmed. I don't know if I can get up today. I don't know if I can make it to school. Then, you know, we start having nasty conversations with ourselves. Come on, Mm -hmm. suck it up, buttercup. You know, power through. Mm -hmm. You got to do this. And so what I have found really effective is I can put mental health in the terms of brain health and help people understand that that's an organ. I mean, and the young teenage girls, just like the skin is an organ, the skin is the largest organ you have. How much time do you spend on your morning routine with your face? How much time? And I'm, I'm one of them. How much time do you spend on your evening routine, you know, with your skincare? 
give that brain, show that brain some care at the same time. Because what I have seen a lot of times with suicide, there's some comorbidities, there's anxiety, there's depression, there's a lot of other stuff going on too. And do you see that at the Newport Academy? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, lots of comorbidities with exactly what you said and, and with trauma. You know, I think that's really an underlying piece with a lot of this is some type of trauma, whether it's a, an attachment rupture or more of a big T trauma, like acute trauma, um, which may not have been addressed. And and so I love what you're saying, you know, focusing in on taking care of our brain that's been supporting us for a long time. And there are treatments that help. And I think that's important to be able to say clearly and confidently that there's help. If you're feeling like you really don't want to be alive, I'm so glad you told me because you don't have to feel that way, right? We can help. We can provide trauma treatment. We can provide anxiety or depression treatment. Maybe there's medications that could support as well. Maybe there's family treatment that could support um, and I love that that focus that you're bringing in on let's treat this like any other problem, right? If we were having migraines, we would take medication for that or we would get treatment. Um, and yet somehow it still feels sometimes like our mental health challenges are our fault or shameful somehow and, and we don't deserve it. And I think that's another real tragedy of the comorbidity with depression is those are depression messages. Right. That's what depression says to us is you brought this on yourself. You don't deserve help. You deserve to suffer. Um, And so getting into treatment can start to unhook from some of those messages. Well, and you're right. There's so many different types of treatments. I wrote a book a couple years ago, Turn Your Brain On to Get Your Game On, because that's my approach. If anything, everything that you do, you don't do, doesn't matter how well you do it. It all depends on how that brain is wiring and firing. And I've had people tell me, I've been in talk therapy for three or four years. You know, that's not, that's not my methodology. Okay, let's do some neurotherapy. Let's change the way the brain's wiring and firing. Let's create some neuroplasticity. And sometimes just hearing a different way to come at it can provide hope. Oh, I've never heard of that. You mean there's something I could do about that? Mm -hmm. And you mentioned earlier the power of distraction. Distraction is a powerful force. Mm -hmm. Yes. It really is. Sometimes I say, you may be surprised to hear a psychologist say this, but it is okay to distract when you're in that much distress, right? You don't have to just white knuckle it and and power through if you're feeling so bad, right? Yes, we want to feel our feelings. And you deserve some relief in this moment too. It's okay. That feeling will be there when you're ready to feel it. And let's go hold a piece of ice for a second or dance, put some music on or get outside, right? That that it's okay to take a break from that. And I think those are good ideas that I hope, you know, parenting are, are recognizing that these are truly ways that they can help their children. As silly as it sounds, let's get up and dance in the kitchen floor. You know, mm-hmm. let's take our shoes off. Let's rock and roll. Let's have some fun. Mm-hmm. As silly as that sounds, that certainly has a positive effect on the relationship that you have with your children. Are there any other points? that you'd like to make around how parents can help their children? 
Um, I think just really not being afraid to to get some outside help. And, and I know I've essentially already said that, but, you know, it doesn't, there's no extra points for, for muscling through this without help. You know, we, we have great treatments. And as you said, so many different kinds of treatments, right? There are, there are top-down kind of cognitive treatments. There are bottom-up, more somatic body-based treatments. There's medications. There's group treatments. Um, as you said, you know, sometimes I, I have the same thing where people say, oh, I've, I've been doing therapy for years and it hasn't helped. And I'll say, well, what kind of therapy have you been doing? And maybe it's time for a shift or maybe you've outgrown that therapist, right? That happens too. And um, so I think parents can support by just kind of keeping that optimism and that hope of like, okay, great. Well, we've, we've checked that off. That didn't help. Let's try this then. Let's do something else. There are lots and lots of ways to support. Um, and then I think the other great thing that parents can do to support is to be sure that they're really getting support themselves. Um, and I know that that's hard and I'm, I'm probably preaching to the choir that, um, that parents often put themselves last in terms of taking care, real care of themselves, you know, getting enough sleep, eating properly, moving their bodies, getting outside, connecting with others. Um, if you're going through something as tragic as your child feeling depressed or suicidal, you need more support. If you're depleted, you know, and if your allostatic load is just over the top and you can't catch up and, and really breathe, then your team is going to see that. They're going to see that you're not able to support them either. So it really is one of those situations where we have to put on our own oxygen mask first um, and then show our teens that that's what we're doing. Like, wow, this is a lot. I'm going to take care of myself too. This is how I do that. I reach out to my friend for support. We go for a walk or we grab a cup of coffee or I go to my own therapist or I go to my couple therapist. Um, so we can model and also we really, really need to be taking a moment to bring that care for ourselves too. Well, one of the things I've noticed over the last couple of years is that yeah. the younger population loves therapy. They are so, I had a young person tell me that yesterday, I just love therapy. And I said, I just love hearing that. And I do, because there's. I think the younger people haven't experienced the same level of stigma that the older population has. I mean, on the average, it takes somebody 10 years that's suffering from a mental health issue, 10 years, a decade, before they will do anything about it. That's a long time. Yes, it is. And what a long time to suffer unnecessarily. Um, I love that you're seeing that shift with the younger population. I'm seeing that too. And it's just, it's so exciting. You know, I feel like therapy is, as you said, it's, it's treatment for something that needs treatment, right? And why would we withhold that from ourselves? You know, if, if we're having a physical health problem, let's go get it treated. We don't have stigma around, you know, getting treatment for your broken ankle. Um, and so I love that that it seems to be shifting and that you're seeing that as well, that younger people are recognizing therapy is great, right? It feels good. I get what I need. I love that. I really can focus in. Um, and I do work with, you know, in my private practice, I work with adults and even older adults who often will say, gosh, I wish I had done this a long time ago. Um, and so I think also parents can really model that like, hey, you know what? You have the opportunity to do this now and really get in front of this. And, and isn't that amazing? 
Well, and that's where I see parents struggle because they they're, they're challenged. I don't want to share my burden with my children. I don't want them to know what I face on a daily basis. So I choose to say nothing. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've got about three minutes left, but I'd be real interested in hearing what you would say to that parent. Yes, I love that question. And thank you for ending on this. I think this is so important that we find a balance in there because if we as parents, and I'm going to just put the parent hat on here, if we as parents make it seem like we've got it all worked out and I don't experience negative emotions or, or I you know, don't have any struggles with my emotions, you know, if, we, if we kind of give that impression, then we leave our kids and our teens in this really strong place of invalidation because they're having big emotions. They're having big reactions to things. And if we kind of look perfect or like nothing bad is happening, then it can feel like they're crazy. And that's the word I hear. Like, I just feel crazy because I have big emotions and no one around me seems to have them. So I absolutely agree with the concern of going too far with that. You know, we don't want to have an inverted relationship where the parent is relying on their teen for support because that's not fair. Um, And that feels like too much pressure. So parents need to be able to get their own support. And there's really a balance. It's such a both and for parents to be able to say, you know what, what you're feeling, honey, is really normal. I feel that way sometimes too. And here's what I do about it. And it's not perfect. But it works for me, right? And so being able to just say like, wow, you know what? I'm so sorry. You must have gotten some of my anxiety. I have anxiety too. Um, And, you know, where do you feel anxiety in your body? Oh, I feel it there too. And, And let me tell you what works for me sometimes. I think if we can really balance that um, that piece of, you know, we're a human too. It's not our team's responsibility to fix that for us, nor, by the way, is it ours to fix it for them. But we can really support it by saying feelings are important. Feelings are information. And what is that feeling telling you right now? If you're anxious, that means you're worried or scared about something. You know, if you're angry, it means you feel like something has been done to you or you've been violated or something's been taken from you. And I feel that way sometimes too. That is a great, that is a great way to end this conversation. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time today. For people that want to learn a little bit more about the, the Newport Academy, could you, is there a website? Is there a place you could point them? Absolutely. Yeah. If you just go online and look up Newport Healthcare, you'll find all the different things that Newport Healthcare does. Uh, We offer inpatient residential treatment for adolescents and for young adults, as well as partial hospitalization and intensive outpatient treatment. And we're throughout the country. So chances are good that there is a location near you and or residential treatment that someone could go to. Thank you so much, Dr. Dragonette. I appreciate your time today. And I so know our listeners will make good use of all the information that you shared. My pleasure, Lee. Thanks so much for having me on. On behalf of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com. 